today on Ag News Daily. About 85 miles northwest of Fargo, from the west edge of the Red River Valley, farm wheat, barley, soybeans, sunflowers, corn, so pretty diversified, I guess. Well, here we are on a Thursday morning. This is Tanner Winterhoff alongside Cassidy this morning. Welcome, Cassidy. Thank you, Tanner. Always happy to be on with you when Delaney's away. Yes, and we get to have some fun today. Like I said, the mice will play while the cat is away. Is that how that goes? I really need to get better at these euphemisms. I think that's right. That's pretty good. But I tell you who's not going to be playing after the year 2100, it sounds like, is most of the Corn Belt. Uh, whether it is true or not, Ben Alder put together an article yesterday for Yahoo News. So uh, take the source with a grain of, of salt. And he is claiming that the Midwestern Corn Belt, which covers Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, Missouri, Nebraska, and Kansas, will be unsuitable for cultivating corn by the year 2100 if climate change continues on its current trajectory. So the future climate conditions will significantly reshape the biophysical stability across the central and eastern U.S., causing a near collapse of the environment that currently grows really good corn crops. So, Cassidy, we've been talking about these weird weather events, these more severe weather events, but he has found that scenarios under these moderate greenhouse gas emission climate that we're in uh, will cause it quite difficult about 80 years from now to do exactly what we're doing. These projections may be pessimistic in nature, he says, but account for the ways that technology can help farmers adapt to the rising challenge. So uh, I think this kind of ties to that EWG interview that we had that gives this article more of an undertone of forcing environmental change in agriculture rather than a lot of facts. But I wanted to present this to our listeners today because it exists. There's a lot of people that read Yahoo News um, and uh, very specifically, it's targeting farmers, in fact, Midwestern farmers, that it does give credit, saying they've successfully adapted to some climate change issues already. Uh, but due to more technological advances and funding needed uh, to continue to push, push these changes forward. So uh, quite interesting if it is true, but more newsworthy because um, it's just another battle that we and our listeners will have to face with the general public. Yes, sir. Just more of a reason for us to work on our advocate skills and work on teaching the public what we are doing to help with climate change and with the weather issues and how we're taking care of the land. Absolutely. Now, I'll tell you someone else that really means business is the men and women in the cattle industry right now. Since I was a kid, the fight over hide color and genetics have been a really big issue. But it looks like, according to a Red Angus Association survey that was sent out, most stakeholders in the industry really mean business now when they're saying they want more objective pricing. Like I said, my entire life, it's been... Black cattle over anything, get more money no matter what. And they're trying to push to get more objective pricing from packers based on genetics rather than hide because that will really encourage farmers and ranchers to focus more on their breeding programs and their genetics and more substantial characteristics of their cattle instead of just the hide color. Well, that's good. That's good news. I mean, if if we can get 
more science behind and fairness too. I mean, we, we get it. There are different benefits of each line of cattle. I mean, genetics will pave their way in a lot of different industries, including agriculture. So uh, good to see that there is some extra battle being there, but staying on the cattle train, uh, there's been a herd of just over 30 feral cattle. So Cassidy, we don't talk about feral cattle very often. We talk about feral hogs and the destruction that those are causing. But uh, in Utah, there's a herd of just over 30 head that have moved into remote canyons of the Escalante, Escalante, ah, not very good with my Spanish, river. But that is a fragile desert zone in between Utah's marquee protected landscape. So these cows obviously have uh, come from ranchers who obviously escaped or got lost from neighboring lands, but now are grazing in sensitive areas on land that is part of the Bureau of Land Management. So uh, the agency is hesitant to just go out and rid of these stray cows, but they are super concerned that Um, they could be causing issues to protected lands. And now environmentalists are continuing to bring that up to where these lands were told that they were set aside to return back to their natural habitats. And this small herd, not even very big, Cassidy, is causing, again, not a black eye, but another turn of attention in the wrong side of things from environmentalists against agriculture. Um, States right here, Pope Joy, uh, clearly environmentalist uh, stereotypical name I probably shouldn't even comment as such but said there shouldn't be cows here it's been more than a year and people have been tracking these we know exactly where these unbranded abandoned cows are they're clearly reproducing this herd is getting large was her exact terms and we need to rely on we cannot rely on only wolves to kill the cattle and they should be taken care of immediately so uh, again, more negative attention towards agriculture for, to me, what seems like a silly small herd. Now that feral can get out of hand. I get that. Um, but we should just send some of your ranchers out there, Cassidy, some friends and family of yours to just get them roped up and we'll get them pinned and slaughtered the right humane way. Well, we actually do have some experience with that. When we lived in Oklahoma, we had a few maverick cattle that would get onto the Indian reservation that we would have to go get. So it's not an uncommon issue. She seems to be making a much bigger deal out of it than it is. Like 30 head of cattle are not hard to capture and take off the land. Like I, like you said, I think they should just hire some cowboys to go get them. It's not that big of a deal. I guarantee you with the prices right now, those cowboys would have no problem spending a day or two or even exactly. a couple of weeks if it took it to get them rounded up and sent off to make some money. Exactly. But then they'd probably be mad about the horses messing with their land. <laughs> so staying on the track of Oklahoma, since I was talking about our maverick cattle there, uh, looks like the planting in Oklahoma is not going great, but planters are rolling amid the drought in western Oklahoma. They received a really good rain this past week, but corn and cotton planters are really just putting in seed and hoping for the best at this point. You know, I've had a, a couple of conversations with some fellow podcast hosts um, in that area and kind of said the same thing. They don't they don't appreciate the way the, the rules are written right now in order to qualify for your crop insurance or or premiums as such, because you have to plant even when you know conditions aren't favorable. But it's good to hear that there's been a little bit of moisture fall 
and maybe they can salvage a crop out of this, but they've been dry for quite some time to where just a little bit of rain isn't going to go very far. But Cassidy, when we don't have Delaney, when we run our own show, sounds like today we are sticking on your roots of a ranching background because my next story comes here as titled Kansas Cattle Trader Banned for Life. So this cattle trader receives a lifetime ban from trading after repeated violations. So John Fife has been banned for life for trading uh, the cattle illegally and is fined nearly 270000 for repeated violations of the Packers and Stockyards Act dating all the way back to 2008. The judge uh, of the U.S. District Court in Kansas handed out this lifetime ban on Wednesday. It comes as a result of breaching prior injunctive orders that stated he, Fife, did not defend the charges that were placed against him and request, requested his extension in January 21. However, uh, if he pays all of his penalties and completes the registered, he could be bonded again. And that is why this ban for from trading for life comes into place. So even if he does pay and move back, he can now no longer trade. So he was charged with operating without that adequate bond, failing to maintain records and make records available to federal inspectors, violating that court injunction from 2012. And in 2017, imposing penalties uh, on the Relief Against Him Act for other sim similar conduct. So. He is ordered to pay that 15% of about $1.8 in reinstated penalties. So that's where that 270 comes from. But his violations stand, stemmed all the way back to 2008. Well, it sounds like that probably wasn't a victimless crime. So I, I <laughs> kind of agree that his lifetime ban is probably a good punishment. 53 unique opportunities. So it's not a fool me once, fool me twice. It was right. 53 times. Yeah, definitely deserves a lifetime ban. Don't feel sorry for the guy at all. And staying on people in the courts, we know that the meatpacking plants are facing some, some court cases right now. But it looks like the USDA, despite all of that, is investing $25 million in meat packers' workforce and training. These funds will be divided between research education and expanded learning through community colleges and tech school. Kind of goes back to what we heard from Pete Buttigieg a few days, a few weeks ago on the podcast about how they were uh, really focusing on apprenticeships and getting young people into the workforce for agriculture. It looks like this is part of that plan. There you go. Putting it into motion, seeing it move forward. Well, I only have one last piece of news before we get into the markets. And uh, I'm only going to hit it high level. It's a story our listeners should read themselves. So I found this on farmjournalsagweb.com. It is labeled survival at all costs. So this is a rancher. His name is Doug Bitchler. And him and his wife uh, are ranchers and farmers in North Dakota. So they call themselves North Dakota cattlemen, but it is a story from a couple of years back, but one of the total personality all of our listeners have in common, and that is never give up. So the high level is he was cleaning net wrap out of a baler, went to oil it. So he engaged the PTO while he could oil the chains on the baler. The door ended up closing, which trapped him inside while the baler was running and ultimately, uh, he just never gave up, was alone, but still got himself out uh, by unfortunately uh, 
choosing life over losing a limb. So um, is now only has one arm, if I read this article correct, but a great story, a well-written article um, about Doug and his family can be found at agweb.com. Do you have anything else before we highlight what the markets look like today, Cassie? No, sir, but that is a great reminder for our all of our listeners as we go into hay season to be safe around your equipment, especially even if you're not doing hay planting and everything else. My granddad also lost his leg in a hay accident. So it's very some, something to be very cautious of in the field. Right, absolutely. So before we hit markets, just a reminder here as we look, corn bowls are struggling to find traction as our U.S. weather helps get the planting progress that we reported this week. Bears are obviously pointing towards the demand side as energy and food prices soar. Now, we look again at the part of Mato Grosso is rumored to be creating a yield drag, um, but popping all over, could corn ride on the coattails of beans? So we'll see what everything looks like. But as we sit this morning, corn is about even as we record here at nine o'clock from the open. Soybeans are up. Uh, 26, 21 to 26 cents, depending upon the monthly contract that you look at. November specifically, 21 and a quarter. Your wheat markets are also continuing to rebound uh, up again, depending upon the month, 20 to 23 cents as far as that looks. So uh, overall green for the grains, corn, like I said, is, is just a little bit above. Live cattle trading a little bit even. October is up a quarter. Feeder cattle, again, looking 70 to 80 cents on the higher and lean hogs running 50 cents to a dollar above, depending upon the month it's traded. So overall, Cassidy, a fairly good open to markets across the board as far as commodities go. So let's take a break here and jump into a conversation with a farmer from North Dakota. Good morning, everyone. This morning, we are gracious enough to allow a North Dakota State fan on our podcast. Peter Ness from Ness Farms is joining us. Yeah, thanks thanks for having me. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Cassidy. (laughs) Just a little reason for me teasing Peter this morning. North Dakota State and Sam Houston State played in the national championship while I was at school there, and we won. I'm not even going to bring up Iowa State university no you better not (laughs) yeah we'll just sit tight and and let that hang out so peter for our listeners why don't you tell them a little bit about where your farm's located and what types of crops you're growing out there well peter ness from sharon north dakota it's about 85 miles northwest of fargo from the west edge of the red river valley farm wheat barley soybeans sunflowers corn so pretty diversified, I guess. Yeah. So how does that look for you this spring? Are you in a typical spring or things look a little different? <laughs> we're, we're late and we're very wet. And very how does that wet. compare to years before? Are y'all usually this wet at this time? Is it later than usual? We're a month behind. Wow. We're still... There's guys trying to get wheat in, corn in. I mean, it's it's late. So we're uh, pushing planting dates, crop insurance, and we got two inches of rain yesterday this weekend. So we're not going to turn a wheel for another week, I suppose. And I don't know if we'll get back in the field. 
Yeah, that's what I was going to say is we're recording this on June 1st and that's isn't today the corn planting crop insurance date. You start losing coverage after today or is it a little bit later? That was last week. That was the 25th of May. Oh. So uh, with as late as y'all are and uh, you saying you don't think you're going to get to get back in the field. Are y'all going to use any prevent plant and will it be more than usual? Oh, it'll be substantial prevent plant, I'm assuming. Okay. Unless the, unless the weather really turns for the better, but there's guys so, north there's guys north of me that haven't hardly turned a wheel. Yeah, and that's what we reported on uh the planting progress report yesterday and uh, North Dakota seems to be substantially behind. So it said, you know, North Dakota for corn is 56% planted. Now you guys got a lot of crop in the ground last week. We that's did. well we behind, well behind the average of 83%. So would you say from here on out, if you decide to get back in the field and plant corn, you're going to see significant yield loss or are you able to switch to some shorter maturity corn? Oh, the corn's the corn's done. Nobody's nobody's gonna put corn in unless it's for silage. The cattle. Okay. Um, some so guys you... are still gonna try and get some guys are still gonna try and get wheat in, but it's mostly gonna be soybeans or edible beans or canola. And is there enough of a market in your area to plant those alternative crops since you can't get corn in the ground? Oh yes. Yep, I bet you corn is probably I I don't know what I'd say probably a third of the rotation. So we're we're not that big in the corn, but it's but there's still plenty of it. Right now, I know we talked to a South Dakota farm earlier this week, and he said uh, that the government aid and incentive programs are kind of ignoring what farmers are going through, kind of incentive trying to incentivize farmers to plant and everything. And he's like. I don't care what incentives we have, we can't get in the field. Do you feel that kind of same disconnect from the government right now? Yes, there's a huge disconnect. When you can't get in the field, you can't get in the field. It just, it rains every day. Right. We've got a pocket here in South Central Iowa that just seems to keep getting hit by little rains, but thankfully they've only been a couple of tenths of an inch. You know, the ponds still show up doesn't take much right. for those to fill back up when a small small rain shot comes through at least they're able to get planted around them but from the pictures that i've seen on social media and the other uh, connections i have in your area yeah it looks like a substantial setback yeah it's uh yeah we had two inches over the weekend and some guys had up to five. Oh yeah, my god it's it's a mess it's I was just going to say, I'm not super familiar with the uh, row crop side of it. I was just wondering if there's any crops that you're going to be able to plant later in the year to kind of help your profitability. I mean, I'll seed soybeans up to the 10th of June, but after that, I'm going to depend on everything. Do you think, Peter, that this will push more winter wheat acres this fall on those acres that were prevent plant? Because it'll be. Yeah, it could. Because the, the winter wheat market, that's. Kind of like the wheat market, that's up there in price. I don't know what the cash price is today, probably 12 a little over $12. So, yeah, I think a lot of guys will put winter wheat in for a cover crop. No, that's uh, that's quite unfortunate. It just 
the hand that Mother Nature has dealt you. We've reported on this podcast for the last five or six weeks about the random weather, the the forest fires, the the everything that just seems to be coming in extremes in a battle for all of our listeners this spring, no matter really where you're at. I don't think there's been a territory or an area that has had perfect planting conditions. So with that, Peter, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we let them know how they can find you and follow with what's going on at your farm? I don't have much else to say, I guess. I know that you're pretty active on social media. Would you like to share your handles on each of your accounts? I don't even know what my accounts are, actually. (laughs) Um, They can just Google Nest Farms on Twitter and you should be able to find anything you want to know. Very cool. Thank you so much for joining us today, Peter. It was a pleasure. Yep, thanks for having me. Well, folks, that was a great conversation with Mr. Peter Ness. We're always happy to hear some updates from farmers, even if they're not the most positive. It seems that they all have a similar personality to where they can keep it in perspective and stay positive. Yeah, and listeners continue to suggest uh, ideas like this to get some, some planting progress reports from around the area. If you've got anybody or you yourself want to be a guest on the podcast, just hook us up and we will get it done. So what do you say, Cassidy, for today? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.